Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. see everyone here. This is your first time here. My name's Tim, one of the pastors. It's so good to see you. You showed up and we had some good weather. Praise. Yes. yes. Good Easter weather. Uh, you know, there's not another person in the world nor down through history that receives more attention and misunderstanding than the topic of uh, our sermon this morning. He shows up in movies. Matter of fact, Karen and I were watching a movie yesterday afternoon and you know what? They said his name probably five times in this movie. I had no idea that you know, they even cared about Jesus, but it came up regularly. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, you go to see a movie and you go, hey, they know who he is, you know? And sometimes you learn things you never knew, like he had a middle initial. I mean, I never knew that. I, I was like, all, my, all these studies, all these years, Jesus H. Christ, I didn't know that. I had no idea. And then sometimes they even, they're kind enough to include him in his family. Jesus, Joseph, Mary, I mean, I'm like, how nice is that to just remember the family and whenever you hit your finger and you really need somebody to care, you call on his name and, and he'll be there. It sounds like a song, doesn't it? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's amazing. He's everywhere. I mean, uh, I, I never have understood completely why when we do things like hit our fingers or there's some exclamation point even in movies or wherever people don't shout out suddenly Siddhartha G. Buddha instead of Jesus H. Christ I don't, I don't know why they don't do that or Ganesh son of Shiva you know it's always Jesus that they, they call out what is it about Jesus that he is the main person that everyone refers to in any situation I mean people make him their buddy you know Make him his buddy, their friend, their guru. They make him their enemy. They blame him. They curse him. They ask him questions. They give him lip service. And some, some actually worship him. Uh, there's just something about Jesus. I don't know. And uh, it seems like it's still like that in the world today. It's even growing. It seems like a swell of interest in Jesus is just growing even more so. And I, you know, of course, I say that humorously about his name. But have you ever thought about that? Why? I mean, why does his name pop up like that in those occasions? I mean, why would you do that? I mean, what is the big deal with Jesus? Why does he show up? I just went to Amazon Books, which I am have a habit of going to quite often. But I went and I just plugged in some names just to see how many books they had on some different topics. So I put in Buddhism. And I got back 47,638 books on Buddhism. I went to put in the name Mohammed and got 29,781 books. I went to atheism and got 4,721 books. And then I put in the name Jesus and got 215,608. And I'm like, what is the big deal with Jesus? I mean, everywhere you go, like I said, movies, novels, exclamation I mean, Amazon. And we're one week out from Easter, as Bob just said, in our worship, and uh, we're making our way through a series that I've called Essential Doctrines. 
And I kind of did a subtitle called Easter for Atheists, not because I think you're atheist, but because these topics that we've been talking about are some of the topics that come up in conversations that I've had with people who are, you know, a little bit adverse to my own faith. And, and I love to have dialogue with people, a good civil dialogue. And, uh, and so usually the first question that comes up is, you don't really believe in a God, do you? You don't really believe in a creator, somebody who actually made it all. You don't believe that, do you? And so the first week we started with God. Does it make sense to believe in God? Is there enough evidence? Is there enough out there for us to at least consider the reality, the possibility uh, that there is some intellect, something very powerful behind all that we see? And then last week, Joel was in town, Joel Lowry, a vineyard pastor from Fredericksburg, Virginia, and he was here to speak to our volunteers, and I asked him to preach, and he preached on the wonderful word, sin. And the reason I bring that up is because there's a disconnect between, if there is a creator, a good creator that created this, all of it, it's obvious to me that in this world, there's some kind of a disconnect between that good creator and his creation. And I think the Bible describes that with that little word, sin. And, of course, Joel took us through a wonderful look at that word and how uh, that, uh, you know, that it's really a great blessing to be offered to see that in your life. And you have the privilege, as he used from his, uh, from the version uh, that he had, the translation that he had, the privilege of repentance. And it indeed is a privilege to be able to be restored to your Creator. But how do we get there? What's the bridge? And of course, this name Jesus has to come up in this, and it comes up in discussions when we talk about the reality of God. We're going to be over in the Gospel of Mark today in the 8th chapter. Uh, I chose Mark because, uh, as N.T. Wright, one of my favorite theologians, Tom Wright says, he says the Gospel of Mark is a gospel for the cynic in a hurry. And so I thought, that fits our series, you know. It's the gospel for a cynic that's in a hurry. He just doesn't have the time. It's a smaller book. And, uh, and he says this about the gospel of Mark. He says that Mark, the gospel of Mark, takes you by the scruff of the neck and tells you breathlessly that this urgent, important, that this is urgent, important, and you'd better listen. Mark tells the story of who Jesus is, why he died, and leaves you with a challenge. And I thought, boy, that, the gospel, we could have got this story from another one, but that fits where we are today. So Mark 8, verse 27 through 29, and if you've got your Bibles, and uh, you want to open them to that, we'll read it, pray, and we'll jump into this. That's Mark 8, 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Father, we just ask uh, your blessing on your word this morning. Ask that you breathe life on it. I pray that, uh, Lord, you'd help me. Give me the gift of teaching. Uh, Help me in my weakness, Lord. Help your word to come through. Open our hearts to its truth. 
Help us see, help us see Jesus today, Lord. If we can just see him a little clearer, I think it'll be a good Sunday. And so, Lord, come, be with us, lead us, guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you have a fill-in in your handout if you want to track along with me, and it's just, as I try to keep it simple, right with these verses. And your first fill-in is this, who do the people or the crowds say I am? First question Jesus asked, who do the people, who do the crowds say I am? He's taking kind of a, a poll right now. Jesus is saying, you know, how's it, how's it out there on the man in the street? What's the man on the street saying about me? Uh, kind of like the politicians do when they take a poll and they want to know and they come back and they say, well, some say you're a prophet. Uh, that is like the Samaritan woman at the well when after Jesus told her so much about her life, you know, she goes, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. It's like, duh, yeah, maybe so. So some are saying, you're like Elijah, you're a prophet. And, and then like the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and, uh, and asked him what it would take for him to be a part of the kingdom of God. And, and he called Jesus a good teacher. People still out on the street call Jesus a good teacher. They may even say, he's a prophet. You know, he said things, and, and he said things that came true, and he talked about people, and he was kind, and he was a good teacher and uh, an encouraging prophet. And so it is it's like a, getting a favorable rating from the man on the street. This, who do the people, who do the crowds say I am? I think it's still good to kind of take a temperature every now and then of what our culture says about Jesus and uh, some of the people that we read maybe or we listen to or watch and I read H.G. Wells some of you read years ago you've seen the movie The War of the Worlds I'm sure but uh, you know wrote the book too The Time Machine that was a lot better than the book and the movie please read the book and um, you know but H.G. Wells said this he said I am an historian I am not a believer but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. And then we move on to the theologian Oprah Winfrey. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's called Oprahology. And, uh, you know, Oprah's a sweet lady. She does a lot of good, and uh, she, she blesses a lot of people. And so she has a lot of gravitas. You know, she has a lot of weight that she bears in, uh, in culture. And Oprah was talking in one of her shows, and she said this. She said, there just couldn't be one, just one. And a lady in the audience stood up and said, what about Jesus? And Oprah replied, what about Jesus? Does God care about your heart, or does God care about if you call his son Jesus? So, you know, that's Oprah's take on Jesus. And then there is Kanye West. Um, very talented man. A very confused man. I, you know, I, I, there are times when I just absolutely love Kanye. I mean, I, I, I listen to some of his work, and... And watching, and I'm like, gosh, this guy's so talented. And then he is so perverse sometimes. And the next minute, it's so encouraging. And so I was watching some clips and trying to find out about Kanye, where he stood with Jesus. And 
I found an interview where he had his WWJD bracelet on, and he told the interviewer quite you know, plainly that he raises his family as Christians and they pray together and that he indeed, you know, asked what Jesus would do and, and uh, he's not ashamed of it. And, and of course, if you haven't watched or heard any of Kanye's stuff, you can go, I'm a little confused because, uh, you know, some of the stuff that comes out from Kanye doesn't really line up with some of this. And, uh, so it gets a little confusing, but then I saw a, uh, I watched a clip of one of his concerts, and he had a Jesus come out on stage, which you're seeing on the screens now. And uh, this was a very, I thought, very cool, very cool creative thing. And uh, Kanye is out on stage, and he has a clear mask over his face, which distorts his face just a little bit, just enough. You can probably still see it's him, but not clearly. Very cool. And... Uh, he starts across the stage and Jesus walks out from the other side of the stage and Kanye looks at him and says, Jesus, Jesus, is that you? Why are you here? And uh, Kanye gets down on his knees and he takes his mask off at the, foot, at the feet of Jesus. I thought, man, that'll work in church right there. <laughs> you know, we need to steal that one. Any of you drama people? We can take that from Kanye. There's a lot we can't take from him, but we could take that from him, you know? And so he takes his mask off in front of Jesus, gets down on his knees, and he says, Why are you here, Jesus? And this is in front of tens of thousands of people. And the Jesus character says, I didn't come to make bad people feel good. I came to make dead people alive, to show people the light and of course the rest of the concert you can't watch because uh, <laughs> borders on x-rated so but you know i mean everybody has an opinion everybody has an opinion about jesus you cannot hide from jesus no matter who you are or where you are there's something inside of mankind it's especially i would say the artist that just he does something to them he pulls on them. He woos on them. He, they're interested in him. And, uh, of course, then there's Bono. You know, who doesn't love Bono? You know, you too. And uh, who doesn't love, you know, Mr. Hewitson? And, uh, and here's what Bono thinks of Jesus. Watch this clip. I look to the scriptures for poetic truth, um, as well as the sort of historical stuff I'm, I'm, I'm in, interested in. And, of course, there was a hist historical Jesus. No, I'm talking about God. Oh, right. And, and do well, you I see, I'm the, per the person of Christ is my way to understand uh, God. Do you pray? Yes. To whom or what do you pray? To and Christ. Way? To Christ. Yeah. And, and what do you pray for? I pray to get to know um, the will of God, because then the prayers have more chance of coming through. I mean, that's the thing about prayer, isn't it? I mean, we don't do it in a very lofty way in our family. There's just a bunch of us on the bed, usually. We have a very big bed in our house. And all our, we've prayed with all our kids. We, we you know, we just, we, we read the scriptures, we pray. It's not even regular. Sometimes if we go to church on a Sunday, we go when the church has ended and we'll just go in on our own as a family. For peace and quiet. For peace and quiet. And we'll pray, usually about people that we know who are struggling with something, um, illness so, or so whatever. So then, what or who was Jesus as far as you're concerned? I think it's, the, it's a defining question for a Christian, is who was Christ. And 
And I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or, a, you know, because actually he went round saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God or he was not. No, no, nuts. Nuts, yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson-type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years, have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just, I don't believe it. I, so I think therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes, yeah, I mean, uh, I have no problem with miracles. <laughs> I'm living around them. I am one. So, so when you pray then, you pray to Jesus. Yes. The risen Jesus. Yes. And you believe that he made promises which will come true. Yes. I do. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> Everybody has an opinion about Jesus. It's rare you ever run in on anybody, run up to someone or get in a conversation and you say, what do you think about Jesus? You know, and they'll, they'll have some comment. Hey, he was a really cool guy. Really? How cool was it? You know, and get people to talk about it. Different religions all seem to have an opinion of Jesus. Islam uh, has kind of a interesting take. They do believe he was surpassingly great. Uh, greatness had greatness. Uh, they think he was still just a man. They don't believe he was crucified. They believe that someone that was mistaken for Jesus was crucified and that uh, actually Jesus will come one day and he'll come back and die as a Muslim. Buddhists uh, have an enormous respect for Jesus. Uh, all these religions do have a respect for Jesus. Uh, Buddhists believe that uh, he was a nonviolent person, that he loved peace. Uh, one Buddhist leader described him as an anonymous Zen Buddhist. That's who Jesus was. It's funny how we always want to make God in our image, isn't it? I mean, it's like God makes us in his image, and we turn around and make him in our image. You know, whatever we are, we want to make him into. And, uh, but they don't believe, the Buddhists do not see Jesus as Christ. You know, that the way that uh, confessing Christians see Jesus the polls on the street, the polls on the street are interesting and it's fascinating to ask people. I mean, if we took 10 of us out with cameras right now and sent them down to the boulevard and we came back this evening and put it up on the screens, it would be very interesting to watch. Uh, but uh, you know what? That, that really doesn't do anything for you. And that doesn't do anything for me. Jesus asked what the polls were about him, and that was very good, but that wasn't good enough for Jesus because he turns and he looks at Peter and he asks this question. This is your next fill-in. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? So you see, God's much more personal about this than we think. It's not really what your group thinks about Jesus, whatever group you're a part of. 
I mean, if you're with the surfers, the golfers, the skateboarders, the whoever you're with, uh, your business group, it's really not about what the group says. Jesus always breaks through the group, and he looks straight at us individually, and he wants to know, who do you say I am? And so maybe if you can imagine yourself there at this moment in time, and though there's a crowd of people, his disciples around him and all, he's looking right at you. You ever been in that awkward moment when you're in a discussion and someone turns and asks you, <laughs> looks right at you, and then all the eyes turn to you, like, what you going to say? You know, and that's Jesus putting you on the spot, putting you on the spot going, who do you say I am? And of course, Peter responds with that famous response, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one, God's anointed king. And uh, it's not about what the crowd say. It's not about whether they say you're a prophet or a good man or a good teacher. And again, for us to get the most out of this this morning, we have to put ourselves right there in that conversation as Jesus sweeps across that group from the crowds and then he looks at us. And that's your third fill-in is this. How should you respond? How should you respond? And I've got three ways to respond here. Most people would say there's probably two, but I'm going to be a little kinder (laughs) and give you a third response. The first one is you could just simply reject him. You could, this morning, you could just say, you know what? I've been coming to church, whatever. I've been listening to this. I've been thinking about it, and I have just come to the conclusion that I don't care how many people talk about this guy, Jesus. There's just not enough for me. There's just not enough for me. I don't feel, Tim, what you talk about each week. I don't feel this wooing, this love of God on me. And all of these, what these people say, just doesn't affect me. And, and, And so I, you know, I don't know about this. Or maybe you read some scripture. Maybe you actually read the Bible, which, man, if you're searching and you're seeking to find a relationship with your maker or to find out if he has offered you a relationship, I don't know why you wouldn't seek it out. I mean, I, you know, I looked a, a little while in the wrong direction before, you know, God kind of got me. He grabbed me. I was going after him. Then I finally realized he was chasing me. You know, he was after me. And, uh, but I was seeking. I was looking. And I always encourage people, seek, look, read, ask questions. Look into it. Maybe you read down here. Maybe you looked down here on the rest of this scripture and you said, well, gosh, I've read down here in verse 34 of Mark 8 and I've seen what it says about people who believe in Jesus and what he's calling us to. It says, uh, you know, Jesus is talking to the crowd and with his disciples and Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself. I'm not up for that. I'm not up for denying myself. Whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their own cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loves their life for me and for the gospel, the good news, will save it. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to trade that. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? I'll take the world. Well, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of my words 
If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. That's the call. (laughs) Man, that's a heavy call. You know what, people, being a Christian, you really have to suck it up. It is not a, I'm watching my words here, it is not, it's not a little teeny religion and we're going to follow this belief system. That is like calling you to man up, to woman up, to suck it up, and to come to, come to him and follow him and change the world. That's the call. To trade your old life in for a completed life. To follow him wherever he goes into this world. And maybe you've read that and you go, I'm not up for that. So you reject him. Or maybe the second one is this. Maybe you're, you suspect, you know, you reject or maybe you suspect there might be something to this. You got a little suspicion. You're like, I don't know. You know, I keep coming. I keep listening. I keep reading books. I keep listening to my friends who are Christ followers. And maybe, just maybe, maybe there is something to it, but I haven't seen enough yet that has just pulled me across the line. So I'm, I'm still looking. I'm still asking questions. And, uh, you know, when you compare religions and you compare different people who say that they are the way and they have the answers, the way this Christian thing, the way following Jesus happened is not what you call your normal religion. I mean, what kind of religion, what kind of movement begins with the hero being put on a cross? I mean, if you were going to start a movement, don't you think that's a good way to stop it? I mean, if I was just going to stop it, I mean, you got your hero, right? And then he gets put up on a cross in front of the whole world. For three years, this hero has been pointing to God the Father and pointing to God the Father and pointing to God the Father. And then he gets put up on the cross, and what does he say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christianity didn't start the way a lot of religions start. It starts with the hero suffering an amazing death. It starts with the hero on the cross being murdered, crying out to the God he's been talking about and repping the whole time and him saying, where are you now? You read that in Mark 15 and it keeps flowing over and it it says darkness came over the land because darkness, if you read through the Old Testament, you see that darkness is a picture of God's judgment. And so Jesus is hanging up on the cross And he's going, God, where are you? My God, where are you? Why have you turned your back on me? And that's a cry. It's a scream. It was said in Aramaic so that the everyday person standing around that cross could understand it. Jesus didn't want anybody not to understand his scream and his cry at that moment. So he said it in the everyday language. What a way to start a movement. Would you have chose the disciples, really? I mean, one just, you know, rips you off completely. It's a nutcase and takes all the money, you know. And, I mean, and that was your treasurer. <laughs> so you got 11 left who are like hiding about this time. You know, they're getting ready to squirm. And, I mean, is that any way to start a movement? Is that the way you start a movement that's going to change the world and have people talking about it like we just saw all these years later? So he's on the cross and he's crying this out and 
you wonder, why is he crying this out? Because the judgment of God is coming upon him for us because that sin that Joel talked about has separated us from the creation, from our creator. His creation is separated. And so all of our judgment just suddenly comes upon that cross on the top of Jesus and he's suspended between, between earth and heaven with his hands out crying. I've never known what it was like to be separated from you, God, ever. I've been with you for eternity. I've never been in the flesh before. I have not known this pain. I have never known the separation from you, ever. My God, my God. Quoting Psalm 22, written all those hundreds of years ago, David penned it. David never experienced any of what's in Psalms 22. It was all written for this moment in time. All those hundreds of years later, where it says his joints are out, his bones are out of joint, that he's thirsty, that they divide up his clothes. All of that that's in the gospel was written hundreds of years before by David in a prophetic psalm, Psalm 22, pointing to that day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know why he had forsaken him? For you. That's why. For you. So that you can hear him ask you, who do you say I am? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason is for you. God had to turn his back and let his wrath pour out on that cross and on Jesus Christ in order for us to be once again reconciled to our creator. God's a pure, holy, righteous God. And only pure perfection can bridge the gap between us and him. So maybe you look at that and you go, you know what? Yeah, I wouldn't have started a religion this way. <laughs> I wouldn't have started it this way. I mean, what kind, of, what kind of religion starts that? His own brothers, you know, James and his brothers and his sisters didn't believe who he was. The disciples are scattering on that Friday. You know, they're scattering everywhere. His brothers and sisters have looked at him and thought, man, you're just crazy. Our oldest brother is a nutcase, like Bono said, a nutter. <laughs> you know, he's a nutter. But just three days later, something amazing changed. Something changed that whole incredibly painful moment into such a birth of power and hope that we are still enjoying it today. 2,000 years later, the church in China is bigger than it's ever been, and it's illegal to be a Christian there. What in the world is up with Jesus? So we can reject him, we can suspect him, or we can accept him. Or we can accept what he said about himself. C.S. Lewis the wonderful writer, Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe, Screw Tape Letters, and so many wonderful books. Uh, you probably, most people have probably seen some of the movies, but haven't read the books. You should read the books. And uh, wonderful writer. He was an atheist at one time in his life. He, called, he said this about Christianity, that it was just one mythology among many. He was an avowed atheist and materialist. But he had some friends. One of his friends was J.R.R. R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote the 
Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and all that. And Tolkien and another friend, Hugo Dyson, they would gather at this pub together uh, where they would eat, have a meal, drink a beer, and they would discuss all their writings. And in September of 1931, Tolkien and Dyson kept Lewis at the, at the dinner that night a lot longer. It went past midnight right on into the early morning hours as they began to talk about Jesus to Lewis. And then on September the 22nd, 1931, Lewis says that's the day he said yes to the Lord. And it's it's a crazy story. He was on the way to Whipsnade Zoo with his brother Warren, and this is his own words. Lewis says this in the wonderful book, Surprised by Joy. He says, I know very well when, but hardly how, the final step was taken. I was driven to Whipsnade one sunny morning. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. (laughs) Yet, I had not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. It was more like when a man, after a long sleep, still lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. Isn't that not beautiful? Jesus is asking all of us, who do you say he is? Are you going to reject, keep suspecting that he might or might not be, or are you going to accept? In the 70s, we, wrote, we read a lot of Lewis's works, especially Mere Christianity, a book probably the best apologetic work ever written, I think. And uh, we read it through the 70s so we could have discussions with our friends about Christ. And Lewis has uh, what I think is where, uh, a section where he says this, which I think is where Bono got what he said from, and he just kind of paraphrased it in a U2-ish fashion. (laughs) But uh, C.S. Lewis says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Reject, suspect, or accept. But you cannot ignore Jesus. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.